Give me one second. I have a candy in my mouth. I don't want to be rattling that around while we record. Why you has candy, Bobby? Because I find the sugar coats my throat and makes me sound less Christian Bale. I was going to say because he's such a sweet little boy. Do you has enough to share for the group? No, shut up. Let's record this thing. Sean, hold on. I'm going to get some candy. I'll be back in 40. <laughs> We're recording this live. Uh, boom. <laughs> this is the theme song at the start of the show. This is the theme song at the start of the show. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Gonna watch a movie, got a thousand more to go. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Watching everything on Disney seeming like a chore. And since I started singing, they already added more. So stop wasting time on the theme song. Just tell us the name of the show. It's called the podcast, What Tennis Shoes. What a terrible name for the show. It's worse than the theme song. Hello. <laughs> Keeping this version in. Hello and welcome to the podcast War Tennis Shoes, the podcast where we watch and rank all 1,774 movies on Disney+. Plus. My name is Sean and I'm here with my co-hosts Bob and Rob. And Bob, I'm starting with you today, throwing a curveball. How are you doing? I am a little upset that I will never be as dashing as Guy Williams, but other than that, I'm okay. None of us will be. Oh my god. Makes me reconsider all the choices I've made in my life, especially not being 6'3". <laughs> Rob, how are you doing? <laughs> I am exceptionally tired today, so I will do my best to have my usual upbeat chipper attitude today. Why are you so tired, Rob? What happened? What happened, Rob? I'm in my mid-30s now, but apparently I'm not smart enough to tell people, no, I can't help you move. Uh, so on the weekend, I helped someone move house. <laughs> move house? Did you help them move to Australia? Did you help them move to England where people say move house? Just arrived back now about five minutes ago. So. You have a whole lot of jet lag. And Sean, how are you? Ooh, thank you for asking, Bobby. I am doing pretty good. I have to say, though, I'm worried. I'm worried that I won't be doing good very, very soon. You know why? I'm going to guess it has something to do with you possibly <laughs> feeling a cold or sickness coming on due to the lack of five-star reviews. There's so few new five-star reviews. There's zero. <laughs> zero since last week, Bobby. I was going to ask, are there any? <laughs> I can feel it. I can feel it coming on. It's going to hurt the show. Yep. Audience, you are part of this as much as I am, all right? You are the official yep. fourth member of the podcast War Tennis Shoes, not the uh, red-headed bearded dream <laughs> demon. It's you, the listener. You're the real fourth <laughs> member. Bobby, you had sent us a text message in our group chat saying that uh, Thomas's uh, mom had actually listened to the episode. So I really hope that uh, she only listens to uh, Thomas's episode and, and not any, <laughs> not any of the other ones where we call him a bearded redheaded dream demon. That does remind me, though. So I do have an official clarification, official correction. Oh, the correction department. And that correction comes straight from our fourth co-host from the Adventures in Babysitting episode, Mr. Thomas himself. His mother, a very great supporter of his, listened to the episode and phoned in to our phone-in line. Yes, we have one. Nobody calls except her. <laughs> and she told us that actually Tab, the soft drink, was sold in Canada. So I correct myself by saying that I wasn't sure. I didn't think it was ever sold in Canada. Apparently it was. So for all your soft drink questions, Thomas's mom is there to <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be a new a new mini show in the show. Thomas's, Thomas's mom, mom answers questions about soft drinks. 
What was the deal with New Coke? Yeah. We have a very, very special episode for you today. It's one of my favorite discoveries on Disney+. Plus. We're going to be talking about Zorro. Specifically, we're going to be talking about the film, The Sign of Zorro. But I'm just using that as an excuse to actually talk about the 1957 television series. But we'll get to that because before we get to actually talking about Zorro, I have... Our reoccurring segment on the show, Rob and Bob say the title of the podcast a bunch of times so I can edit it into our episode because we're running out of fancy new ways for you to say it's called the podcast War Tennis Shoes. So starting with Rob. All right. I'm prepping myself for my terrible, terrible impressions. I'm I'm also prepping myself for your terrible impressions. Starting with your terrible impressions, I want you to do an impression of Daniel Day-Lewis. And you are <laughs> explaining to Paul Dano that you drank his milkshake. All right, but more all right. specifically than that, you listened to his podcast, and the podcast is called... Um, I gotta do one of uh, I Drink Your Milkshake. I drink your milkshake? It's called the podcast War Tennis Shoes? It's pretty good. I actually have never seen uh, Blood. Uh, what is it? There will be blood. You've never seen There Will Be Blood. That, that no, is I've like never seen There Will Be Blood. Top ten films for me. That is, that, I know. Then like maybe like top three performances. Bobby, I want you to do this as if you are Daniel Day Lewis from There Will Be Blood, except you are explaining to Paul Dano that you abandoned your boy. As he screams at you in a church. Specifically also that your podcast is called The Podcast War Tennis. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really good thing that you did that for that one for me, Sean, because that's the only line from that <laughs> film I know. So It's called The Podcast War Tennis Shoes. Again. It's called The Podcast War Tennis Shoes. Again. It's called The Podcast War Tennis Shoes. Again. It's called The Podcast War Tennis Shoes. Say it like you mean it. It's called The Podcast War Tennis Shoes. All right, I like it. Can I suggest one for you? You can try. I'm going to suggest one for you. I don't know if it's going to work because it's a different number of syllables, but can you do it like... uh, The theme song to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? It's called The Podcast War Tennis Shoes. It's called The (laughs) Podcast War Tennis Shoes. No, I was going to say from from Lost, they took my boy... (laughs) Waltz! Yeah. Waltz! Yeah. It's called the podcast War Tennis Shoes! <laughs> it's not bad. It's but called it's... the podcast War Tennis <laughs> Again, you're just back to being a Muppet. I love it. <laughs> okay, Bob, I want you to say this as if you're a weathered old man at a truck stop. And you're warning a group of teenagers traveling through that they shouldn't go into the woods because of a haunted podcast that records out there. Well, it's called the podcast war tennis shoes. (laughs) And you ought not listen. Don't tell us what to do, old man. All right, Rob. Yeah. I want you to say this as if you are Billy Batson, the original Captain Marvel, and saying the title of this podcast will turn you into a superhero. (laughs) It's just one word Shazam. Just scream it out. Except it's the title of this podcast. That's what you find the old man Shazam in a cave. He tells you that he will okay. grant you the powers of Captain Marvel. And in order yeah. to turn into Captain Marvel, you have to say the name of his podcast. He's trying to get the name of the podcast out there. Okay. This yeah, is yeah, his yeah, form yeah, of yeah. marketing. Okay. He's like, yeah. I need you to say this every single time. Yeah. It's going to create some hype. And so he, he, I'm in the cave and he tells me it and I say, it's called the podcast for 10 issues. Okay. But now you're biting the bad guys. Yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. It's called the podcast for tennis shoes. You peaked the hell out of your mic, man. You got. Let's see how far away I have to get. 
<laughs> I'm across the room, as far as my headphone cord will go. How is it sounding? You'll never take us alive, Captain Martin. I don't know why he's British. Eh, you'll never take <laughs> us alive, Captain Marvel. It's got the podcast more tennis shoes. You still peeked it out, man. Just don't yell it that loud. I'm right here. Jeez, Captain Marvel, man. You don't need to yell it so loud. It's called the podcast more tennis shoes. That's good. That felt like it was the first time you'd used the powers, but you were unsure. It also sounds like you're turning into Captain Marvel in a library. And you're like, it's called the podcast more tennis <laughs> <I know>. shoes. <laughs> Rob, one more time for you. I think this will be a good one for you. Okay. I want you to say this as if you're a morning DJ. And you're playing the brand new single from Taylor Swift's new album, Midnight's. And that single is called The Podcast Wore Tennis Shoes. Morning, right, like a, like a, ooh, yes, radio voice. Like the morning drive, brand new single. Midnight's just came out. Taylor Swift dropped it and the internet is going nuts. We're not, we're not talking like a shock jock, are we? No, they're not really shock jocks, but they're, but they're wacky. You're rambling Dave Scharf. All right, let's talk to that. New hit single called The Podcast War Tennis Shoes on 99.9 FM, The Goat. Bob, I want you to say this as if you're a late night jazz jockey and you're putting on an obscure B-side recorded by Herbie Hancock and Chick Corea in 1978 called <laughs> The Podcast War Tennis Shoes. I'm just a spit take there, Sean. Jesus. All right, for everyone out there in Radio Land, it might be a little while since you've heard this one, but we got something special for you tonight. It is called the Podcast War Tennis Shoes. Beautiful. I love it. That's perfect. Okay, Rob, I have one more for you, and then we're going to be done. As a married man, Mm -hmm. I know you know this very well. I want you to say the title of the podcast as if you're downstairs trying to have some peace and quiet with your model trains, and your wife is yelling at you. And she's yelling, what's the name of that podcast that Sean keeps trying to get us to listen to? And you yell back, it's called The Podcast War Tennis Shoes. And then she yells back, what? And then you yell back, it's called The Podcast War Tennis Shoes. And then she yells back, what? I can't get farther away from the microphone, Sean. <laughs> it's called The Podcast War Tennis Shoes. I can do this for like an hour. Like, this could just be a whole podcast. I'm glad you did that, Sean, because uh, I don't have very many notes about this film. I stopped taking notes at the 40-minute mark, um, and then I went back to start taking notes, and the, mo- the movie was over. I was like, oh, all right, this is uh, this is the new scene. I'm going to write some stuff about Gregor. Oh, it's over. The movie's done. Oh, whoops, my bad. So we're talking about 1958 or 1960's The Sign of Zorro. The exact year this was released is up to debate. It depends on what country you're in. We'll talk about that later. But what we're really talking about is 1957's Zorro television series produced by the Walt Disney Company. So Zorro was created in 1919 by Johnston McCulley. He was a pulp fiction writer. He wrote a bunch of superhero-esque stories. And one of the characters he created was Don Diego de la Vega, Zorro. In the book, The Curse of Capistrano, which was released in 1919, it was an immediate bestseller. In fact, it has sold more than 50 million copies worldwide. It's one of the best-selling novels of all time. And in 1920, the year after the book came out, Douglas Fairbanks and his wife Mary Pickford decided to adapt it into a silent film as the first release of their brand new production company, United Artists. That was released to sensational results. It was a massive box office success, came out in 1920, (laughs) silent film, Douglas Fairbanks, Everybody loved Zorro, the crusader for justice, fighting corruption in the governments and standing up for the people. Basically, he's Robin Hood and Batman. 
Yeah. Except Batman is Zorro. Yes. Essentially, he's a ripoff of Robin Hood and Batman is a ripoff of him. Hmm. There were a few other adaptations through the years, but in 1952, Walt Disney purchased the rights to the character from Johnston McCulley with the intention of adapting it, I probably into a movie. But then in 1954, he embarked on a new project. That project was Disneyland. He wanted to create the greatest theme park on Earth, and he needed money to do that. A lot more money than he had offhand. And one of the ways in which he raised money to build Disneyland was he made a deal with ABC. And that deal was to create a a weekly television series for ABC in exchange for a large investment from ABC into the Disneyland project. And that television series was originally called Disneyland. And seeing a way to kill two birds with one stone, Walt Disney basically just filled his Disneyland TV show with advertisements for Disneyland. The first episode of the Disneyland TV show was, hey, you guys should all come to Disneyland. Here's what (laughs) Disneyland's going to be like. But he also filled Disneyland with some other new creations. Um, It was an anthology-type show. Every week was something different. Uh, The first week included a excerpt from the animated film Alice in Wonderland. He created uh, brand-new documentaries for the Disneyland television series, including one called Man in Space, which was actually nominated for an Oscar as Best Documentary Short. And Eisenhower then used it as an introductory training video for new recruits to the Pentagon. What? It's a pretty good documentary. You can actually find it on Disney+. <laughs> um, it's filled with Nazis, uh, literal actual <laughs> Nazis, because the United States recruited a bunch of Nazi scientists to develop their own space program, and then they all went on Walt Disney's Disneyland television series to explain how space travel works. So if you want to see a bunch of Nazis... You can watch that documentary. Oh it is a good documentary, though, despite the Nazis. Uh, Werner von Braun. Yeah. He made rockets, and he was a Nazi. One of the other big creations for the Disneyland show was a serial drama called Davy Crockett. Every few months, Walt Disney uh, would release a new episode of The Adventures of Davy Crockett, and it was a massive success. It immediately became a phenomenon. Kids started dressing up like Davy Crockett. They bought Davy Crockett merchandise. Walt Disney immediately collated all of the Davy Crockett episodes into a film that was released theatrically that was just the first four episodes pushed together into a single film. That was a huge success. And that was created by a director called Norman Foster. ABC then went to Disney and said, okay, why don't you create a regular show for us, a weekly show in addition to the Disneyland show? You can do a Davy Crockett every single week. That's the thing that's drawing in the ratings. Do Davy Crockett every single week or something like Davy Crockett. And Disney was sitting on the Zorro rights. And so he went to Norman Foster, who created Davy Crockett, and he said, could you do a weekly Zorro show? And Norman Foster said, could I? (laughs) And so they made what, in my opinion, is a phenomenal fucking show. I'm going to get to this, but I fucking love this show. Zorro premiered in 1957 and was itself a massive success. Massive by the kids show 1957 Disney standards, maybe. It was the fourth highest rated show on ABC for the two seasons that it was out. The theme song went platinum and <laughs> wow it's a good theme song ranked number 14 on top of the pops just talking about the theme song although the version of the theme song in the tv show is recorded by a group the version on the single that was released was recorded by henry cavill not henry cavill. <laughs> superman <laughs> it was recorded by henry calvin 
Henry Calvin. <laughs> so the Calvin timeline. <laughs> You're trying to combine way too many references into one joke, Rob. It's all it's all crumbling around I you. I told you I'm very very tired, and my brain is just going. It's mush. It's, it's a good metaphor for the DC universe as it currently stands, though. <laughs> it's just Robbie's brain is mush. Just trying to cram. Too many things at once, and it's all just turning to mush. So the Zorro television series lasted for two seasons, and then they created a bunch of television specials. But what they did, just like the Davy Crockett series, they combined a bunch of the initial episodes into a movie that was released theatrically. Originally, just internationally, because international audiences hadn't seen the television series. But it had enough success internationally that they actually also released it theatrically domestically in 1960. Now, this movie is listed as being a combination of eight episodes of the series, but that's actually a little misleading. Once I actually watched it and then watched the series, it's actually a combination of the first 13 episodes. They just don't use anything from like five of the episodes. Oh wow, yeah. It seems like they cut out a lot of stuff. I was saying they cut some... out a lot. There's two, isn't there? Because there's also there's Zoro the Avenger, which is another mashup of a few different episodes of the show. Yeah, Zoro the Avenger is a collection of later episodes. There's 75 episodes total. Two seasons, 75 episodes. Amazing. They don't make them like that anymore. And then the second movie is a collection of another set of episodes. I don't actually know offhand which ones they are because the second movie isn't on Disney+. And I'm not sure I would watch it anyway because just watch the show. But anyway, we'll get to this. We'll get to my review. When do we get to my review? (laughs) How does this movie begin? This movie begins with a shot saying it is 1820, I believe is the year. And you have a large sailing ship. Uh, sailing towards the coast of California, and you're introduced... Eh, incorrect. It starts with the theme song, Bobby. Don't skip the theme song. It's the theme song at the start of the show. It is the theme song at the start of the show. Uh, is this is our friend George Bruns again? It's George Brun wrote the music to it, um, which I really like. And then the lyrics are written by Norman Foster, who was the writer and director of the pilot. And creator of the show, essentially. It's fun. And actually, it's, it differs because, again, as you suggested, I watched some of the first episode. And it was nice that it's the intro isn't just the intro to the TV show. It's a different set of footage cut together as well for the theme song. So there's a couple other things I want to say about the opening credits. The first is that the movie is credited to being directed by Norman Foster as well as Lewis Foster. And that's because a few of the episodes, particularly episodes six through nine, I believe, which are part of this movie, were directed by Lewis Foster, and the rest were directed by Norman Foster. Now, to the best of my research, these two men are not related. (laughs) I cannot find a single bio that says they were related. They apparently have entirely different backstories, histories, and birthplaces. So I'm going to assume they're not related. They just happen to have the same last name. The Foster brothers. (laughs) I don't know if you guys noticed this, but one of the assistant directors is Vincent McAviti, the director of Million Dollar Duck. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's good. (laughs) Nope. I did not notice that. Bobby, now we've got through the theme song. Now we've got through the credits. It's 1820, just off the coast of Spanish California. What happens next? Uh, You're introduced to one of the most handsome men you'll ever see grace the screen, uh, Guy Williams, and you take one look at that man, you're like, only one man is handsome enough to be Zorro. Why didn't they just use that excuse when they're trying to figure out who he is? (laughs) You're introduced to Guy Williams as Zorro. Well, not not, not yet. He's... um... Not not yet, but give it it like two and a half minutes and he'll be Zorro. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. He's even like for the time, even though it's like an, uh, an older style performance, he's so charming and charismatic right out of the gates of this film. He's fantastic. 
all of my notes for this movie are just like, man, this guy is awesome. I wish he wasn't Italian, but he is amazing as Zorro. Yeah, he's Sicilian, but I could have sworn that like um, he's also the father on Lost, Lost in, in Space, Space. Yeah, which I couldn't tell at all because without the mustache and the accent, yeah. He's totally I think different. The, uh, the black and white is doing a lot of work uh, for this movie uh, and its uh, casting choices. Well, he's Sicilian. He would he would probably look quite Spanish, um, although he naturally would have a slightly different accent. But at any rate, um, and his family is an immigrant family, so I mean, it's an interesting story that that he has himself. Um, Guy Williams is a fake Hollywood name as well. Because uh, what's it, uh, Armando Joseph? Armando Joseph Catalano? Armando. Yeah. yeah. His name's Armando, and he's that handsome. I know. Yeah, of course. His, his name's Armando. Of course he's that handsome. It's not fair. This is also like a different era. I mean, I know it's like sometime later, but I read in Arnold Schwarzenegger's book, he talked about when he was in an episode of I Love Lucy, he was playing an Italian masseuse, and he like looked at Lucy Ball and said like, but I'm Austrian. Like, why am I playing an Italian? And she was like, they don't know the difference. Just talk. <laughs> <laughs> not to make like generalizing or offend anybody with like stories like that, but this is a kind of a different era. It's like, oh, whatever. No one will care. To be fair, though, I... I actually felt like they were pretty authentic about it. They weren't exaggerated accents. You know, there's there's a mix of some Mexican and some non-Hispanic actors, but everyone seems to be pretty consistent with the type of portrayal that they're giving. That was actually my second note of the film was it was surprisingly less racist than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. <laughs> As I said, I think the black and white's doing a lot of the heavy lifting there. But uh, I, I rewatched The Mask of Zorro after watching this last night. Where Anthony Hopkins plays a Mexican. Where Anthony Hopkins plays a Mexican and where Catherine Zeta-Jones, Welsh Catherine Zeta-Jones plays a Mexican. Actually, the only person pretty much that is Mexican in that cast is Antonio Banderas. Everyone else is like a white guy. Well, he's Spanish, right? He's not Mexican. Yeah, sorry, but... he's Spanish. And I mean, the, the line between Spanish and Mexican when you're talking about 1820 California is... Yeah, is... it's... It's a pretty gray area. Yes. <laughs> guy Williams, this was basically his big break. Like, he had a few small roles before this, but this was essentially, he came out of nowhere. And he's like, Jeez. he's amazing. Fully formed. Yeah. Every time he smiles, he's so charming. And he's smiling the whole fucking time. I know. He's having so much fun being this character. Okay, well, we're talking about smiling, and I want to talk about smiling. So, Batman is heavily influenced by Zorro. Everyone has spoken about that before. We're not the first people to mention that. Zorro has his Zorro cave. Just like a bad cave, he has his faithful servants, and you know he it's underneath his his mansion. Uh, he's fighting corruption. He's masked, and ever, nobody knows his secret identity. Zorro spends this entire time loving the fact that he's Zorro. Yeah. He <laughs> never stops giggling. Like every single fight that he's in, he giggles through the whole fight, and it's awesome. And I want more superheroes to do that. Like, I was thinking about it. Like, every superhero is so fucking serious all the time. Dower. Like, the only slight exception I can think of is, like, Spider-Man. But he's masked, so you never really see him, like, smile. But he kind yeah. of acts as if he's kind of having a good time and smiling and cracking-wise. I mean, I guess Deadpool, too, out of the modern movies. Again, but he's masked, right? Yeah. And so you never see... The same kind of, like, grinning, handsome man just loving the fact that he gets to sword fight people. Yeah. Or, you know, throw batarangs at people. Like, <laughs> why doesn't Batman grin? I want him to have fun sometimes. Breaking people's bones and giving them permanent brain damage. He has to eventually forget about the whole parents thing, right? Like, eventually. 
eventually. Just, just smile once, Batman. Yeah, I, I, I dug how much he was, he was just seemed to be having a great time playing this character. If this was his, honestly, like, genuinely his first role, and he's just like, I, I just get to basically be a swashbuckler, uh, you know, like, and just be the charming rich guy. Yeah, for sure, man. Why wouldn't you be loving every moment of this? Dude lived his best life. Yeah. From the best that I can tell, he got into acting because... He was exceptionally handsome and tall, and he was yeah. like, but guess I better be an actor. You know, he did a few parts. He started, you know, throughout the 50s, he started with, like, bit parts here and there. But then he got Zorro. Zorro ended, and he did a few walk-ons. He had a small part in Bonanza, but then he got lost in space. And then after Lost in Space ended, he he just had invested well, and he was like, I could just retire now. And he just retired after two TV shows, and he moved down to Argentina. <laughs> like, dude lived his best life. So on the ship, this is the part, I mean, like, it's little moments like this where you can tell, like, okay, this was, this is a TV show, and this is yeah. specifically a kid's show. It wasn't filmed to be a movie, because he's, he's explaining all of, you're getting all the exposition of up to this exact moment and how the rest of the show is going to move forward in this minute. We are introduced to his servant, uh, Bernardo, who we know is Gene Sheldon from Babes in Toyland. I was going to say, so we're introduced to our character in the middle of a sword fight, the lead, right? Yeah. He's, he's he's fighting, I think, the captain of this uh, Spanish is, yeah. ship. And they're like on the coast of California, right? Yeah. And the captain is like, oh, well... You might want to keep that sword on you because California's changed a lot since you've been gone these past three years. He waited. He waited the entire voyage until the last possible moment to tell him this. He's been fencing him every single day, and the captain tells him and this. It's been months, the morning too. Of. They've been at More sea months. for months. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I forgot to mention. <laughs> There's a dictator in charge of California yeah. now. Uh, oh, by the way, this entire time that we've just been having fun, yeah. This is the, like, Henry Ducard Batman training of, like, I have been sword tra- fight training you for three months, and now that we're almost here, good, your training is complete, because holy fuck are you going to need it. <laughs> you have to fight a dictator. Good luck! But, uh, yeah, you, we get introduced, as Bobby said, to the silent butler. Um, what's his butler, butler's name? Bernardo. Zorro takes this this warning from the captain. There's a dictator in charge of, of uh, his hometown. And uh, and he goes, well, in that case, I'm just going to make a whole new persona for me and you. I kind of loved how to the point they were. Yes. Like, they, they do the entire first act of Superman the Motion Picture in a scene. A scene. Yeah. Where he just decides. He's like, okay, here's going to be my secret identity. Here's yeah. your secret identity. Yeah. I'm going to be Zorro the Fox. He basically comes up with his own name at that yes. moment, yeah. too, because he talks about clothing himself as a fox. And then, like, here's the plan. We're going to take down the dictator. And you're less than two minutes into the film. Because yeah. I believe he literally says, like, you're right. That I'll be – instead of being a man of action, I'll be a man of – in action, and I was like, "Oh, good, this will be Hamlet," but exciting. I also liked how you said you could tell it's filmed for for TV. Bernardo and Zorro are like standing on top of each other in this scene to get them in the frame. He's like literally like they are t- touching chest to back so they can fit in the framing of the shot. It's so funny. It's extremely tight framing because they're they don't want to do a lot of shots because they had to do seventy five episodes in two years. Yes. They were cranking through these episodes. Yeah. Like, I mean, the performances are great considering they're doing like one or two takes and they're like, moving on. We did this entire scene. I just, I really dug the, the framing of it. I was just like, okay, yep. They are, they're, they're hugging. Like, there's no reason. They have this giant cabin and they are literally like mouth to mouth talking to each other. I did read that this show had a budget of up to $100,000 an episode, which oh is God. the equivalent of a million dollars an episode. Yeah. For back in 1957. So, and at the time, it was 
the largest budgeted show on ABC. I'm not sure if it was the largest budgeted show on television at the time, but it was a major production from Disney. It was a big swing, but, you know, it certainly had the success. So mm-hmm. where are we? I say not as racist as the film could be. There is <laughs> there is some spot the racism when he says we're facing trouble in California and Silent Butler makes some very stereotypical gestures and he says, no, 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 not Indians. And I was like, ah. That does come up a few times. They do use that term. Although the narrative of the show, and I'll get to it later, does have a bunch of indigenous characters and spends a lot of time, especially in some episodes that weren't included in the movie, that were cut from the movie, sympathizing and and, uh, portraying them as heroic characters. So, you know, it's it's an interesting uh, element. I'll say. Mm-hmm. Anyway, honestly, I know, I know, we could quite easily, you know, play the spot that racism game in this show, but I didn't get that any of it was like malicious or kind of like thrown away lines or anything like that. By the nature of most of the characters being uh, Mexican or Spanish, right? Like it just seems to be like they were. Like, that's what it was. They were just portraying it as it was to an extent. I know it's heightened for TV, but, like, that's what they that's what they were doing. It, well, it's like how now you watch a television show like Rome and you're like, wait, why are all these Italian people British? Even in the 90s, Anthony Hawkins was playing <laughs> Diego de la Vega, so... Oh, and we missed the plot. The, there's a little brief plot point where his butler says he wants to pretend deaf and dumb. So not only can he not speak, he'll pretend he cannot hear so he can be his eyes and ears in the town and nobody will suspect a thing. I mean, it's a pretty amazing scam because technically, like, anyone could do this and they fall for it so easily. Because what happens is he goes into town and he's just like, oh, this guy's deaf and dumb. So for the rest of the movie, everyone just keeps telling their evil plots in front of him. They're like, oh, don't mind him. He's deaf and dumb. And then it's like, well, that was easy. (laughs) That's, That's the easiest way to get all of the secrets out of these people. We just send Bernardo in. The main bad guy. What's uh, what's his name? Capitan Montessario. Montessario. Mon- yeah. Montessario, yeah. He does test it right off the bat, though. The moment he learns that this character is supposed to be deaf, he, like, goes, gets a gun and shoots it off right by him, and he doesn't react. And so he's the only character that doesn't take it on face value. So, you know, you're, you're kind of led to believe yeah. that, oh, this guy's smart. Uh, but the fact that Bernardo didn't, like, jump and scream and turn around. I know that's what... Hey, Gene Sheldon's good at his job. Exactly. He knows what he's doing. I was waiting for that. I was like, this is going to be a plot point they're going to bring up, like, halfway through the movie. And I was like, nope, we're doing it right now. (laughs) Because essentially, this isn't a... 90 minute movie this is a 22 minute episode yeah that they need to go through the introductory plot like by the end of the episode you need to be established you're like we've had an adventure you need to be zoroing by like minute 15 <laughs> yeah exactly which yeah. they do so yeah. let's get there the, we get there i mean we got to really quickly touch on very uh, like yeah guy williams is like unbelievably handsome and dashing close fucking second brit lormand holy fuck is like he is such a dashing villain that you're like yeah well like he's bad but like Maybe I can heal him. Like, fuck is that dude handsome? Yeah. Britt Loman is actually fascinating. So that guy fought in World War II. He has three purple hearts and a silver star and a bronze star. Jesus. He has a very large scar on his face. Yeah. Which is so dramatic that it almost makes him more handsome in an evil villain kind of way. Sure. I don't know if that scar is one of the purple hearts, but whatever it is, like that guy has a fucking amazing backstory. He became a champion sword fighter. Mm-hmm. He then got into Hollywood. Uh, one of his major roles was as the villain in the first season of Zorro. And then he became a production associate and an assistant director. And he was the first AD on Battlestar Galactica and MacGyver. Wow. The remakes, right? No, not the remakes. <laughs> the originals. <laughs> 
He lived for 150 years. Another accomplishment. So you get this introduction of uh, Sergeant Garcia, um, who is... Uh, Henry Calvin. We we touched on these two actors in Babes and Twilight, yeah. but this is actually like what they're known for, for their, for their Disney careers, is like this show. Yeah. Well, this show was so successful that Disney kept trying to make them a comic duo in everything. Yeah. And it never worked. It wasn't just Babes in Toyland. They also were the two leads in a film called Toby Tyler, which was a <laughs> 1960 Disney film about a kid who runs away to join the circus and meets Henry Calvin and Gene Sheldon. Their performance in this, it, it, it's very it's very Laurel and Hardy, yeah. again, in the same sense of, like, Sergeant Garcia is, like, very bumbling and, like, kind of verbose. But you get the impression he's not, unlike the main villain, he's, he's, he's not really a bad person. I love how the main villain, Captain Monastario, is introduced, and in his first scene, he's talking to his henchman lawyer. He sets out his entire arc, and his arc is... Soon I will be the richest man in California. <laughs> he just sets out. That's his goal. My note on that whole scene was I was like, oh, this is just like a self-insert for the show of Disney mentioning himself, discussing with his own lawyer his plans for the show in Disneyland. <laughs> uh, that's one. I, I know you said you liked that, shot. That was one of my um, knocks on this is that I I didn't feel that the like the bad guy was – his evil plan was like he wants money i get it like that's pretty evil he'll do anything to make money but like there was seemed to be not much connection because it was a bunch of episodes thrown together there didn't seem to be like a a theme like a main plot that he had throughout the whole course of the film that's because i think they abandoned it i like how they start off in his first scene like within three lines they're like, you need to establish what your evil plan is. And he's like, I want to be the most evil and richest man in California. And they're like, great, yeah, print it. We're moving on to the next scene. But throughout the series, his plans keep changing. At one point, he wants to marry Nacho Torres's daughter. And his plan is just to take Nacho Torres's land and marry into his family. And it's like, that seems like that's a downgrade from your original plan. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, he just seems to have new plans every episode, but that's because he's an episodic villain. First nachos tomorrow, <laughs> California. He's like, I'm lowering my sights for now. <laughs> but that, that that was one, like, knock against it that kind of took me out of it, and I couldn't fully yeah. get engrossed because it was so episodic yeah. that it was like, now this is, okay, everything's resolved, next episode. Okay, everything's resolved, next episode, you know? I'll agree with that overall, too. Like, we'll, we'll get to it a little bit later. But the show the show just has a bunch of mini arcs, yeah. and it doesn't have, like, a full over arc, over arc of a story. And so, like, the, the movie just – well, we'll get to it. But for me, the movie just ends. Yeah. Yes. That's why, like, when I – as I said at the beginning of this, I, like, I stopped taking notes, and then I kind of was making myself some supper. And then I came back to sit down and, and make – some more notes and then i was like oh cool okay so this guy is oh it's the it's done it's done okay it's over i missed uh taking notes for the last half well it just ends on episode 13 of a 37 yeah. episode first season so yeah. and uh sergeant garcia seems to have the character arc and he seems to be the main character at the end like <laughs> <laughs> everything turns up garcia all right so rob what happens next? um they get to town uh what town is this let's just establish oh i don't actually remember what's the name of the pueblo of los angeles oh so it's la but it's the town of la and uh they arrive uh they have to get uh their bag searched again even though they went through customs we get the bit with sergeant garcia he knows diego they have a nice little interaction there introduces him to his deaf and dumb butler we get the introduction of uh the governor right is that who he is no he's not the governor no he's the captain captain sorry captain uh, monastario montessario um, monastario Montes- not montessori not captain of montessori <laughs> and he's also referred to as the commandante commandante yeah. i'll go with commandante 
commandante. I can remember that. Uh, the commandante, uh, his evil plan, talking to his evil lawyers. Um, and they bring in, uh, one of the dons. Uh, so that's kind of like equivalent of like a lord. Is that kind of what we're assuming? Nacho Torres. Nacho, uh, Torres is his next door neighbor, uh, at his, yeah. his, his dad's next door neighbor. Um, and he's being arrested for treason. Uh, but, uh, our main character knows that, uh, there's no one more patriotic, uh, than Nacho Torres. So he knows something's up. Throw in right into the mix of things as soon as he arrives into town. You see exactly how corrupt this commandante is because Nacho Torres merely spoke out against the corruption that is filling the government and he's been arrested for treason and he's being carried into the barracks. He's going to be locked in a cell. And Diego de la Vega is very concerned about this turn of events. When we go through this, I want to briefly touch upon the things that have been cut. And there are both big cuts and small cuts. In this sequence, there is a small cut after the Commandante is informed that Bernardo is deaf and dumb, so therefore they can speak freely in front of him because he won't hear any of their secret plans. The Commandante wants some evidence of this. And in the television series, this scene is extended where Sergeant Garcia goes on this extended comic rant where he keeps calling Bernardo more insulting names. You look like a pig and your father was a goat or whatever. Uh, Bernardo keeps nodding and smiling and Sergeant Garcia keeps laughing and laughing. And so it's an example of, I think, this comic scene as they're going through where they're like, all right, cut that. That's just laughs. We don't need that. I was going to say, um, because they don't seem to have too many uh, scenes together in the movie. So I was like, how much of was in the in the TV show was the interaction between the two of them? Because you said that they were trying to make this comedic duo happen. And I'm like, as far as I remember, they have like no scenes together, no in, scenes the together in this movie. They certainly have more in the television series. Gotcha. And I get that. I get that little capper then to the scene where they were sort of it's just like keeps insulting him and probably goes back to the commandante and goes, hey, he can't say a thing. And the guy's like, give me that gun. Just shoots it in the air. Yeah, yeah that's basically how that scene goes. Yeah. yeah. I could see that playing out. Yeah, because the commandante is like, this doesn't prove anything. You're just calling him a goat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> give me that gun. Okay, so what happens next after they leave the town and go back to see his father? Zoro's father has written him about what's going on and how you can't really, you know, there's a great evil and they need to stand up and do something about it. And Zoro's father, what, I don't, I, the character name escapes me. Alejandro de la Vega. And he's played by uh, Jorge Luis, who is a Mexican actor. Uh, quite renowned. But he sent Diego away to Spain to learn, like, fencing and all, the, like, you know, the become world-wary, right? And, like, no, no ways of the world. He sent him away to university, and just like any conservative father, he's very disappointed to find that his son has come back from university as a soy boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> because the scene is Diego trying to calm his father down and say, no, we can't fight this corruption. We need to write a sternly worded letter. We need to use our brains and not our muscle because Diego is trying to keep up this facade that he is not going to be Zorro because he's already decided that he's Zorro. He hasn't once done anything Zorro, but in his mind, he's already Zorro. Yeah. And so he's trying to keep up this facade, even with his father. So he's trying to convince his father that he is a soy boy coming home from university with all of these liberal ideas, and his father's very disappointed. This is something I actually liked uh, throughout the show, and I imagine it probably touches more on it in the actual TV show, but it's an element from Batman you don't get, is that with Batman, his parents are gone, and the reason Batman has become Batman is because he never wants that to happen to anybody again, and that's what drives Batman to be who he is, and he doesn't want to lose control of that situation. Uh, In Zorro, his father's alive, and he has to keep the mask of being this weaker person or lesser person in his father's eyes much to the shame and 
you know, dishonor of his father and he has to live with that. Yeah. And it's something you can tell that greatly upsets him. And it was, it's actually, it's a really nice element to the show that you get that I say you don't get with a lot of other superheroes that, I mean, you get it with Spider-Man eventually later on, but it's that like, he's intentionally letting his father down knowing it's going to hurt him for this greater good outside the room. Yeah, he has to live being a disappointment in his father's eyes, even though his father looks up to Zorro and uh-huh. thinks of Zorro as a hero and thinks of his son as a disappointment. It's a Superman, Lois Lane. Lois Lane loves Superman, but uh, doesn't like Clark Kent. She usually likes Clark Kent, doesn't she? I don't know. They usually can't really continue that long until she figures it out. And then, she, then he has to kiss her. Zorro doesn't have the magical kiss that will wipe his father's memory, though. <laughs> 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 so it's not quite as easy for him to backtrack what he tells his father. That he's Zorro. That he's Zorro, because he can't just kiss him. <laughs> okay, off topic. Do you think that was the first time that uh, Superman did that to Lois? <laughs> Superman clearly did that multiple times. He just does it for fun, because he's like, guess what? I'm Superman. Oh, snap! Give me a kiss, baby. And then they just continue on, and she's yeah. like, what happened? Yeah, what were we talking about? What were we talking about? <laughs> we were, we're talking, talking about, about him kissing uh, his father. We were talking about Diego kissing his father. He is Zorro first night home. Yeah. I, I have a note that says, wow, they don't waste any time getting to the Zoroing. Well, they got to do it episode one, man. He just, where did he get that mask? He just had it. So although this movie is a condensed version of excerpts from the first 13 episodes, there's also new scenes. There's at least three new scenes inserted, and I'll point them out. They needed them to tie the narratives together, considering everything that they were cutting out. What happens is there's two scenes here after he talks to his father. The first is he takes uh, Bernardo to his horse horse tornado oh yeah and tornado was being looked after by another family while he was away in spain and it's this black horse it's the greatest horse in the world it can do tricks it can kneel it can listen to him it's the amazing zorro horse it's zorro's batmobile uh his zorro mobile so to speak (laughs) it's a pretty good horse i gotta say they they have that horse kneel for him right on cue yeah and it's uh pretty good um and then he shows bernardo that his bedroom in his father's house actually has a secret passageway to an underground zorro lair that his father doesn't even know about his grandfather built it and he found it and his father doesn't know about it and so that's how he's going to come and go from his home and become zorro just like those bat poles that batman jumps on after he lifts up the bust of beethoven and presses the red button zorro has that except there's no Beethoven and there's no poles. But other than that, it's exactly the same. I, uh, I did appreciate, uh, I said, after rewatching uh, The Mask of Zorro, the differences uh, in the cave are hilarious. The the cave in this is, it's a little cave where he has a little hitching post for his horse and a little little pool of water. So he can splash water on his face when he arrives. In The Mask of Zorro, it's a full-fledged bat cave in the basement with, like, obstacle courses and, like, <laughs> fancy mosaic tiles. And Giant penny. Yeah. Big T-Rex. <laughs> yeah. So then he goes to break out Nacho Torres because that's his first adventure as Zorro. He's going to rescue Nacho Torres from being captured by Comandante. I asked both of you guys to also watch the first episode of the TV show before we talked about this movie. And part of that is because the print of the TV series that's shown on Disney Plus, in my opinion, is fucking gorgeous. It's one of the best black and white prints I have ever seen. It looks like it's in pristine 4K. Like they brought the negatives out that they only ever used once and they stored in like the same cryogenic chamber where they're keeping Walt Disney's head. (laughs) It's amazing. And the Zorro movie, The Sign of Zorro, looks like ass. 
It clearly is a like a third generation print. You can see the 35 millimeter grain lines. You can see holes in the prints. Um, and especially in some of these action sequences at night, it's very muddy and dark. Yeah. And it's very hard to kind of see the action. Although in this this scene, I did say day for day. That's some really harsh midday sun. Day for night? No, it's day for day. It looks like day. <laughs> day for day, yeah. But there's there's a lot of like night shadowy scenes where it gets pretty muddy yeah. when you're watching the sign of Zorro print. But that exact same scene when you're watching One Notch Over on Disney Plus, when you're watching in the television series, looks pristine oh, wow. and amazing. And I... I highly recommend watching the TV print. Did you watch that TV episode, Bobby? I started watching it right afterwards and because it was like the first scene, but I, I, I watched the boat scene, like right at, where I watched the fencing scene on the boat and I was like, oh yeah, okay. Like even, even just like that shot, as you said, I was like, oh, this is so much cleaner and crisper. I skipped around, uh, the episode. I just watched like bits and pieces of it here, yeah. but I didn't actually get to the, uh, I should have watched the, the day for night. No, it's all right. But I mean, like you saw some of that stuff. Yeah, it looks really good. One of the one of the scenes there where in the sign of Zorro, the movie, uh, where he like he's jumping around on the rooftops and he's like climbing up a staircase. He just goes into an area that's completely unlit and he's wearing black and it's pitch black. And you're like, where did he go? And he's like there for it's not that long. It's like five seconds. We're like. What happened? A guy like chased him after him, and he's disappeared too. You're like, what? What's happening <laughs> in the in the TV print? In the print that they're using in the TV show, it looks great. Okay, it's a massive difference. Cool. The sign of Zorro was released on VHS in 1997, I believe. I'm not sure if it was ever released on DVD. I assume it was, but I couldn't find confirmation of that. The TV series was released on DVD. Uh, as kind of like a collector's edition thing in 2009. So even if The Sign of Zorro was released on DVD, I think that print predates the TV digitization, hmm. which would have happened at the earliest in 2009. Um, even though, like the, you said, these like night shots are kind of grainy and dark, it is still fun to watch. Like the sword play is fun, the action is fun, and like knowing that for the time this show would have come out, like this would have been, you can tell this would have been a big deal. Sometimes you watch these old like 1950s television shows. Like some of them are great. I Love Lucy is great. But sometimes you watch this stuff and you say, this is what people had to look forward to every week. <laughs> and you kind of feel a little bad, or at least I do. Like when you watch this stuff, like it's it's has some novelty factor to it. But this was your life. This is what you had to watch? This Zorro show? Honestly, I think it would be a sweet life. Just come home every Friday and watch this. And it ran 39 episodes, so it was almost a full year. Like, Yeah, almost every single week you would have a new Zorro to watch. Yeah. I love the sword noise when he carves the Z. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Did you uh, did you say what um, the Commandante calls uh, his his lawyer, his, his partner in crime here? No. No? He, I wrote it down because it was really – I liked it. Uh, my friend and worthy legal conspirator. <laughs> Just spelling it out for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I loved how on the nose they were about it. Yeah. The lawyer's character's name is Licenciado. The Comandante has arranged for Nacho Torres to be shot while trying to escape. But Zorro shows up. Zorro shows up. So because he goes to Nacho and he tells him that Sergeant Garcia has the keys. So he – Breaks into the locker room or the change room at the end. And I like that he reuses this gag a few different times. And I imagine it comes up a lot of times in the show. But he puts a bag over his head and says, all right, you stand in the corner. Like, my sword's in your back. And then just puts a sword in his back and, like, cheekily walks away. I imagine him smiling and laughing. Because he's always giggling. Everything he does, he goes, shah, 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 Beastly style. He's like Beastly from Care Bears. I, I did write a note here, though. Uh, why does the Commandante suffer... Uh, 
Gregorio's foolery. Gregorio's foolery. <laughs> uh, Sergeant Garcia's foolery. Why does he? Why does he suffer it so much? Because it's a kids' show. I guess. Sergeant Garcia. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> so then it. he can do that all the time, every episode. It comes up later too. I mean, he's easy to pull one over on and deceive. I mean, like the exact line later on in the film is Sergeant Garcia. Sergeant Garcia could not put together two slices of bread to make a sandwich. We don't have to worry about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Monasterio is evil and he's he's corrupt. And so he doesn't... He's a useful fool, I guess. Someone more competent would also potentially either be someone who A, is going to turn in Monasterio or B, also be corrupt and therefore out-corrupt him. I gotcha. And, and, and also like the people like him. People like Sergeant Garcia because as I said, I think you, you get the impression he's not a bad guy. Well, even Zorro likes him. And like Sergeant Garcia is constantly trying to kill him. Like, Sergeant Garcia is his main foil because he's the leader of Monasterio's, like, army. And yet, Diego de la Vega is like, I love you, man. I love you so much. (laughs) They're still, like, best friends. Never change. He's like, never change. I love you. (laughs) Because if he did change, Zoro wouldn't be able to get away with everything. That's exactly what the relationship is. So both Zoro and Monasterio love Sergeant Garcia for the same reason. Because he's an idiot. (laughs) Idioso. Stupido. This is the scene where he gets the Sergeant Garcia says, I don't have the keys to come on. Dante has them. Zoro crosses paths with the lawyer opening the gate and then locks the lawyer in the cell. Zed in the wall. He and Nacho Torres escape. There, 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 there's a nice battle. There's some, some of the classic, like, climbing up a wall of boxes and kicking them down so no one can chase after him. That shot's from, like, 100 feet away. You can still see the big fucking smile on that guy's face. He's loving every second of what yeah. he's doing. Well, he's wearing nothing but black. This supposed to be at nighttime, and he's just got these pearly white teeth smiling through that, that mask. So, yeah, he's loving it. I mean, like Michelangelo, he loves being a turtle. <laughs> All right, so he and Nacho Torres escape. And so here we get an interesting adaptation for the film. They ride off together, having defeated Monasterio. And once they're out of sight of the Pueblo, they both pull up next to one another. And in the television series, Zorro tells Nacho Torres to go take shelter in the monastery and seek refuge there and request sanctuary. In the movie... That line is very clearly 80 yard with Zorro saying, go to the governor. (laughs) Yeah. Because the next five episodes of the show are a series of episodic adventures. Okay. Nacho Torres is hiding in the monastery for like two episodes. And one is actually very fun because it's like this Scooby-Doo episode where Sergeant Garcia and the army surround the monastery. They're basically waiting until um, the monastery runs out of food so that they can arrest Nacho Torres. And Nacho Torres walks out uh, wearing a trench coat? No, what happens is is that Zorro scares the army into fleeing by pretending to be a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) So what happens is, um, yeah, so he's in the monastery. And then when he flees the monastery, he goes to his house. And then there's an episode where they follow uh, Nacho Torres to his house and they Commandante knows that Torres is in the house and sends in Sergeant Garcia. And then Zorro has to trick Sergeant Garcia into getting drunk with him in the cellar to distract him. Trick him. From he tricks him into getting drunk. At the end of that episode, they arrest his wife and his daughter for assisting Nacho Torres in escaping. Gotcha. And so we skip straight to that. Yeah. So basically, we end episode one, and we with an ADR line of go to the governor, we skip straight to episode six. Get thee to 
the governor. Get thee to a monastery. <laughs> I mean, governor. We skip straight to episode six, where he arrests Nacho's wife and daughter and puts them in jail to try and provoke Zoro into trying to rescue them. That's what I got here. Uh, it seems like there's some 442 business going on. Uh, because right now it's like it says that there's a legend of Zoro. Um, like everyone's just like, oh yes, I know Zoro. He's the legendary outlaw fights for the people. And I was like, this is the next day. Like, and the only person who knows that Zoro was there is Nacho and he's at the governor. So how the fuck does all these people know who Zoro is? That's because you skipped four episodes. But here's the thing. Not only did you skip four episodes, you actually only get, uh, less than two minutes of episode six. I thought it was, I thought there was nothing there. Yeah. They arrest his wife and daughter, and then there's the scene of him explaining, I arrested his wife and daughter, and then they skip to episode seven, because (laughs) episode six is this entire other thing about Diego de la Vega's, like, ranch hand, who's in love with Ranch uh, Nacho's daughter. It's this whole subplot that's edited out of this entire movie. You get... Exactly one minute and 50 seconds of episode six. And then you go to episode seven. I was going to ask something of Bobby. I missed something here. Um, your favorite uh, sped up footage of cars driving. Uh, how did you like the sped up footage of the horses riding? I, I will watch Guy Williams do fucking anything. Yeah? All right. Yeah. I, I made that note specifically because I was like, all right, they, they clearly sped up this horse footage. Um, I wonder what Bobby will think of it. The thing with cars that drives me insane is that they always move so quickly and erratically when the footage is sped yeah. up that like it it always just takes me out of it. Um, this one I knew what they were doing, but it was also a kid's show, so I was like, I was less, I was a lot more forgiving right. of it. Also, again, Guy Williams so handsome, like <laughs> I just get to stare at him. It doesn't matter. Guy Williams is the only thing that can melt your cold, cold heart. Yeah, it's it's true. I hate I hate everything except for Guy Williams. <laughs> so now we get exactly two scenes from episode seven. You cut straight to episode seven, which involves all of the Dons joining together to try to rescue Nacho Torres's family from the prison. And that is a lengthy episode with a lot of subplots that are all missing. Yeah. And basically all they show is the Don saying, we should break them out. And then you cut to them breaking them out of like, prison. Like that. Yeah. Like, next scene. And somehow Zoro runs up and he goes, it's a trap. Yeah. And you're like, how did Zoro know it's a trap? That's because that's from the episode that they cut out. Gotcha. So all of that is missing. Alejandro gets shot, but Zoro rescues him and takes him away before he can be captured. There's a nice scene here where Alejandro is uh, injured. He's been shot. Zoro is trying to bring him to someplace safe where he can be mended. And there's a scene where Alejandro talks to him and tells him how this Zorro is actually the son that he always wanted to come back from Spain. But unfortunately, he got that shitty soy boy, Diego de la Vega. And if only Zorro was his son. Oh, wouldn't that be something great? It's not a bad scene, again, and it's like... I said, I, I like this element that I imagine there's more of in the show that he has to live the life of being a disappointment to his father. And he gets he gets to accept himself because the line he says, he says, you look like somebody I know. Yeah. Um, so you're like, okay, yeah, like this is, this is a nice payoff for the character of Zoro to be like, right, my dad does. I mean, he already knows, but to hear it from him, like, you know, I, you're who I wish my son could be. It's like, well, ha, joke's on you, dad. That's who I am. The funniest part is like the father has his mansion, right? On the top of a hill or wherever it is. He goes into town. I'm assuming a lot. He would ride those roads all the time. He knows where he's going. His dad's eyes are closed when he takes him to the cave. He knows that he's like at home. Yeah, he's like, what are you doing <laughs> <He's> here? Like- <laughs> It's like, I didn't know there was a cave under my house. Yes, right? My hacienda. Oh, one other thing. I forgot to mention this. 
in the first episode, so at the beginning of this movie, in the scene where Zorro confronts Sergeant Garcia, and then, Bobby, you mentioned how he puts the sword behind his back, and he puts a sack over his head, and he and he props it up to like have a fake sword standing there, and he's like, I'm going to stay behind you this whole time, don't move. During that scene, it seems to me like Guy Williams is putting on a Christian Bale Batman voice. It kind of sounds like he's going like, Sergeant Garcia, please go over here. And then he like puts on, you know, he's like doing like a growly voice. But I feel like they abandoned that right after the first episode. And they're like, no, Guy, just be Guy. And so like in the scene with his father, he's just clearly Diego de la Vega. He's not putting anything on his voice. He's smiling even though his dad shot. It's clearly his son. <laughs> like, it's just his his voice talking to him. And he's like, yeah, I'm not sure. I'd recognize those pearly whites anywhere. I paid for that dentistry. So now we're in episode eight. And episode eight is an entire episode uh, devoted to hijinks of Diego de la Vega trying to get medication back to his father while uh, Captain Monasterio and uh, Sergeant Garcia are searching the uh, the um, hacienda. That's none of that. Sergeant Garcia actually ends up taking a nap in Zorro's like bedroom, and he has to like try to sneak out while like Sergeant Garcia is like falling asleep on his bed. That's all of episode eight. None of that happens. Instead, what happens is they take the father into the Zorro cave, and then he goes upstairs, and then they shoot a new scene where he says to Bernardo, "I'm going back downstairs now," and then he goes back downstairs. <laughs> Like, it makes no fucking sense. But it's just because they had this footage of him going upstairs, but they didn't want to have any of those hijinks. So they're like, we need a scene where he goes back downstairs because he needed to be out wait, there. Because- wait, 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 wait. So you're telling me that that whole episode, he brings his dad to the cave. Like, he's bleeding out. Yeah. And then there's like 25 minutes of them, like, Mickey mousing around. Well, he has to, like, pretend to be Diego de la Vega with Sergeant Garcia. And and his his dad is, like, bleeding out. Yes. <laughs> the That's the below. comic premise of the episode. Oh, my God. I want to watch that now. Eventually, his father gets tired of dying and stumbles out like, of the Zorro the cave. the fuck is this guy with my medication? <laughs> he's just like, he's not coming back, is he? Like, he just dragged me in this cave to die. No one's going to find me. So he starts crawling out of the cave. In the episode, it makes sense because Zorro's like, wait here. But he goes upstairs and then he's gone for like presumably a couple of hours or something. And then his father's like, oh, I need to leave. And so he stumbles out. But in the movie, he walks upstairs, tells Bernardo, my father's downstairs. I'm going back down right now. And then he goes back down. But his father's already left. Well, he, the reason why I went upstairs is so he said, go get some medication and then I'm going to go back down. That's what he says. Right. But it's still kind of absurd. It's the dumbest thing. They needed a bat phone. So his father has stumbled out and uh, Captain Monasterio has found him out in the field outside of the Zorro cave. And just before they can capture him, though, Zorro finally rides up and challenges Captain Monasterio to a jousting match. How'd you feel about this jousting match, Bobby? It was fucking sweet. I love how much you're into this, Bobby. It was fun. I, this makes me so happy. I love how much you're into this. No, it's fun. It's a fun little jousting. It reminded me of when we were in high school and we used to joust by sitting on our taller <laughs> friend's shoulders and like whacking skateboards into one another to see who would fall. <laughs> yep. Yeah, like pool jousting, but with tall people. Yeah. Didn't we assault somebody that way? Yeah, I aimed too low and hit somebody in the head once and killed their horse and that was the end of jousting. <laughs> 
Yeah, we never did it again. Yeah, I felt really bad about that. And it was someone it was someone who wasn't part of our friend group. No, that's the funniest part. They're they were like, Oh, that looks like fun, let's do that. And then you just hit them in the face with a skateboard. <laughs> Running like as fast as I can on someone's shoulders. <laughs> So that is why I like this jousting scene so much. Just to clarify, for this true crime podcast that this has become, did you actually murder the person? Or what do you mean by killed their horse? I, I mean, the person the person that was acting as their horse tripped because I hit them in the head with a skateboard. And like, sure, I won the battle, but I lost my honor. <laughs> but back to the movie. He pins the commandante to the ground, doesn't he? So he knocks the commandante off his horse, and then he throws his jousting spear into his, like, cape and pins him to the ground. So I, I made a note here. They are jousting without shields, and those are spears. They're lances, They're, yes. Yes. And he he knocks the commandante off his horse with the lance. Yes, but it's a children's show, but he does not yeah. inhale the commandante. Okay, okay just check it, because that should have went straight through him. <laughs> yep, should have. But instead, you get something much more humiliating of he chooses not to kill him, rather humiliate him. Yeah, and actually, Sergeant Garcia and all the men laugh at him. I have a note of totally real gap to jump, because he jumps a ravine on his horse, and you're like, oh, wow, like... Not only is that a matte painting, but that gap is also a matte painting because that did not happen. Yeah, no, the the horse just jumps over some leaves on the ground, <laughs> but they've matte painted that into a giant chasm. Yeah. Um, I think it looks cool. It's a fun shot for sure. They do that a few times yeah. in the TV show, and I feel like every time it looks really cool. The little capper to that scene uh, is uh, the commandante says to Sergeant Garcia, the, the biggest one of the guards, says, jump over it. Garcia says, well, I think I could, but my horse can't. <laughs> and that's the end of the chase. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That is, fuck, that's a good line. Yeah. <laughs> and so as they do that, though, then they finally get the return of Nacho Torres, who is back with a armed guard that is being sent by the governor. So the governor has sent Nacho Torres back to be tried uh, along with Alejandro, um, but not Zorro, who is going to be able to ride away because everybody's like, we love Zorro. You cannot capture Zorro. The governor has said Nacho Torres and Alejandro will be tried, but they will be tried by a judge that I choose. And so it will be a legitimate and legal trial. It will not be a corrupt Monastario trial. And he's like, what about Zorro? And he says, Zorro's not my problem. Zoro's your problem, and you're letting him get away. <laughs> Look at him, he's riding away now. <laughs> and then he grins, and he goes, ha-ha! Which is what he says at all it's times. The best. He goes, ha-ha! Yeah, it's the best. All right, so now we get to episode nine, and episode nine is... And this is where I have the note, I got bored 40 minutes in. Yeah. And so this is about the halfway point of the movie. We're at episode nine. And episode nine is very briefly another fun episode that they cut out all of the fun from. So the premise of this episode is that Torres and Alejandro uh, de la Vega are going to be put on trial, but the governor is sending uh, one of his top judges, a very honest man who is going to conduct an honest trial. But Monasterio has a plan. He is going to delay that judge from arriving. And instead, he's going to have his lawyer sit in as a replacement judge who will provide a corrupt verdict of guilty despite the fact that there's no evidence. And so the entire plot of the episode is that the judge is being sent and uh, Sergeant Garcia has to meet the judge halfway at a at an inn where the judge is going to get off to go to the washroom and 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 get a drink and he's going to delay the judge and sergeant garcia um engages the judge in an eating contest <laughs> that's the premise of the episode this this highly respected judge 
this who has who has a, a trial to get to takes one look at Sergio Garcia and says, "Yeah, I reckon I could take him in an eighty competition." <laughs> That's what makes it so funny. Okay. All of that is cut. And so instead, all you get from episode nine is Monasterio going, I have a plan, cutting to him having a fake trial, which is the end of the episode. Yeah. And then Zoro showing up the last minute with a sword and being like, instead of having a fake trial where you say guilty, how about you have a fake trial where you say not guilty? And then the judge goes not guilty. And then you are done. That's the whole thing. You could tell he cut so much because like they have just given... Alejandro to Nacho and the guards, right? And then it cuts to the next day, and like Diego's like leaning up against the jail cell, just like smiling and laughing with his dad. Um, and, and Garcia's like, Oh, you, oh, Diego, you can talk to them as long as you want. Don't worry about time limits, about talking to the prisoners. And then, uh, and then it's just like his dad's like, I got all better. They gave me some medicine and I got all better. I mean, the way that they've edited this together, they, the first 20 minutes of the movie, is the first episode. Yes. And then they do like two minutes so from much. episode six, two minutes from episode seven, two minutes from episode eight, two minutes from episode nine. And then they're about halfway through the movie. And then they cut to episodes 11, 12, and 13. And then they just show those yeah. as the third act. And so the third act, as I said, is episodes 11, 12, and 13. And essentially, it's Monasterio gets an evil Zoro. <laughs> yeah, he gets the <laughs> – Reed Repulsa gets her own Power Ranger. <laughs> yeah, th this, is, this, is, this is the Green Ranger for sure. The plot is, is that Monasterio finds another no-good Nick at a local bar brawl who looks a lot like Zoro when he puts on the mask. And he gets him to pretend to be Zoro and rob – a local gathering of the uh, major families, the major dons. Yeah, the, the major families in the Pueblo. And um, he's going to pretend that that was Zoro so that everyone will turn against Zoro, except Zoro finds out about it and shows up. And then the two Zoros fight like Link and Dark Link. And <laughs> of course, the good Zoro wins and reveals that the evil Zoro is not a good Zoro. And then they just do that again. Because Monastario is like, it didn't work, but let's try it again. And so then they do another episode where he does the same thing, where he tries to rob a church. And then they have another sword fight. There's a there's a, there's a good line from the robbery I liked when Fake Zoro is robbing everybody, and he makes someone rob everyone for him, and they get to the minstrels, and he says, never mind the musicians, they never have money. <laughs> and I was like, yes, that's true. I will say that there is a lot of flamenco dancing in this movie. Yes. A lot. In the, and it's all in the third act. For how much, like, plot they <laughs> cut out, they just said, you know what's fun? Flamenco dancing. <laughs> like, Here's the thing. It's really good flamenco dancing. Great. And when it shows up in the TV series, I think it's actually really good because every few episodes is like a two-minute flamenco dance. And it's like, oh, this is really nice. It's really good flamenco dancing. And it's starting off the episode. And you're like, ah, this is great. And let's get into some of this adventurous stuff. But they show, like, all three flamenco dances. And all three dances are like two minutes long. The first flamenco dance lasts longer than episode six in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> they have more of the flamenco dance from episode 11 than they have of all of episode six. And then they have two more flamenco dances. <laughs> yeah. 
So you can see why I went and made supper while I was watching this, because I didn't understand anything that was going on, and most of it was flamenco dancing. The dancing is good, <laughs> but this is around me. I, I, as much as I was having fun with this movie, this is kind of around the point that I... What I was actually doing was trying to find out who the flamenco dancer was. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was trying to look her up through the episodes, and because if you, you look at this movie on IMDb, it's not actually considered a movie. It's considered archival footage, because it's just a mishmash of a few episodes of the show, so you can't access the cast. Because there isn't really a cast. And so I was trying to go through episodes to figure out who she was. And I realized like five minutes had gone by and I'd missed all of the Commandante discussing what his plan was going to be with fake Zorro. And I was like, I probably should have paid attention to that, but I'm not going back. It's just Rita Repulse's Green Ranger plan. He's just going to have an evil Zorro. That's what his evil plan is. I will point out there is a scene in the movie where Diego de la Vega finds out that evil Zorro has robbed the church and he's talking to Bernardo about it and his way of finding out where evil Zorro is is that he says, well, evil Zorro took jewels from the church and so I'm going to spread around these fake jewels and that's going to basically confuse the Comandante to find out where did these jewels come from? These are probably the jewels taken from the church and he will lead me to evil Zorro. In the TV show, this scene also appears. This is not a new scene to bridge narratives, but it's entirely reshot and it has entirely new dialogue. Huh. And I was trying to find out why, because there's a few things that are different. One, it's shorter. So it might just be they needed the scene, but they needed the scene to be half the length that it is in the TV show because they wanted to save some time. So they reshot the whole thing and just like condensed the time. And then the other thing, for some reason in the TV show, Bernardo references these fake jewels that Diego brings out that he's going to use to lure the Commandante into leading him to evil Zorro. Can we call him Bizarro? <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to call him Bizarro. <laughs> He's going to use these fake jewels to to have the Commandante lead him to Bizarro. And Bernardo kind of gives a confused look and he says, oh, these, I got these in Mexico. But then in the movie version, which is reshot, he says, oh, these, I got these in Spain. And I don't know why they changed that line. I guess it makes a little – like he could have gone to Mexico. I think for like, the movie it's probably just because like you as the audience and they're like, when the fuck did he go to Mexico? Yeah. Like he's just been like here for like three days. Yeah, it's been three days. A lot of shit's happened. But he doesn't go to Mexico in the TV show either. But probably because it's been, like, three months. I guess so. I guess so. Uh, it's assumed that, like, he's gone to Mexico at some point. Anyway, it's a weird change. Like, I was like, why yeah. is that reshot? But at any rate, we have another flamenco dance where he throws a bunch of jewels on the ground. And then the Commandante leads him to Bizarro. And then we have this amazing scene. One of my favorite scenes, it's basically my favorite scene in the entire movie, where he has to stop Bizarro, but because the Commandante is there, he has to pretend to stop Bizarro as Diego de la Vega. And so he 100% Christopher Reeve. Yes. It. And by Reeves, I mean Reeve apostrophe S, not Reeves <laughs> apostrophe, because his name is Reeve. Um, but he Christopher Reeves it, and he does this amazing performance of the Diego de la Vega version of a sword fighter, which is totally different than yeah, his yeah. Zorro version of a sword it, fighter. It's like a really good singer can be like fake uh, as a bad singer, right? Because yeah. they know what they're doing. It's the same thing with him. He's a really good sword fighter, so he can fake being a bad sword fighter. But not only is he faking being a, set, a bad sword fighter, he is faking being a bad sword fighter who is accidentally beating this guy yeah, who's accidentally in a sword, good fight. At sword fighting <laughs> well because bizarro mentions it 
He says, I've never met such a, like, terrible but, like, lucky sword fighter in my life or something to that effect. Yeah, because he keeps, like, flailing wildly and he has no stance, but yet he somehow keeps accidentally, like, blocking every move and he keeps accidentally pushing Bizarro into, like, a, a defensive position that is hard to come back from. And then he wins the sword fight, being the worst sword fighter in the world. And then the Commandante is like, how the fuck did that happen? <laughs> He's watching the whole thing. And he's just like, how the fuck did you do that? And then the Commandante shoots Bizarro and he falls off the cliff. And that stunt was sweet. I reround it thrice because that is a badass fucking stunt. Done at a oneer from the top of this cliff, get shot, and he has to land, hit his mark. Otherwise, he's breaking his well, And he front flips too. And I mean, they hide the mattress pretty well too. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you can, you know where the mattress is. But it's also – it doesn't look like there's a lot of space No, there's there. not like much padding there. falls onto something, maybe a little <laughs> bit of padding. And it's – yeah, it's a great stunt. Yeah. So, yeah, he kills Bizarro and then he has his suspicions about Diego de la Vega because he's like, that seems unlikely that you <laughs> <laughs> managed to do that being so bad. Yeah. And so that brings us into the climax. The climax is Commandante arrests Diego de la Vega because he's become convinced that he is actually Zorro. And the governor shows up and he is going to unmask Zorro in front of the governor and prove that Diego de la Vega is actually Zorro. And there is two things that happen. The first is that we get another Christopher Reeve-style Diego de la Vega pretending to be a bad swordsman. Um, as he fights against uh, the Commandante. It seems like a very like Salem witch trial scenario because the Commandante unmasks him or accuses him in front of everybody of being Zoro and then says, I will sword fight you and I will prove that you will Zoro because you will beat me. And so it seems like a scenario in which, okay, so if the Commandante wins and kills him, he's dead. <laughs> but if the Commandante doesn't win... That proves he's Zorro, at which point he's dead. Yes. So it's a very lose-lose scenario. But Diego de la Vega clumsily survives his sword fight for a while, grinning and giggling the whole time. There's a good line in there, too, where he says, I'll prove, I'll finally prove it to everybody. And he says, prove to what? That I'm a terrible swordsman? I think they can see. He lasts long enough until uh, it gives Bernardo time to put on the Zorro costume, much like the episode of Batman where Alfred dresses up like Batman to rescue Bruce Wayne. And Bernardo rides up, throws a dagger at the wall with a note that says, sorry, I was late to the fiesta Zorro, which proves to everyone, including the governor, that Diego de la Vega could not possibly be Zorro because Zorro rode up while they were having this sword fight. And the governor says, I have heard all of these accusations about your corruption, and this is the final straw. I am arresting you, uh, Monasterio. I'm taking you back to the capital, um, and I am putting Sergeant Garcia in charge as the new commandante. And that's the end of the movie. <laughs> it's a, Yeah, the movie just kind of ends. Everyone gets a holiday for Sergeant Garcia. The end. Because that's just episode 13. Yeah. Personally, I'm excited to see where the show goes. Uh, Cesar Chavez appears in... I think the second season of Zorro as a reoccurring character. Like, Wait, have you have you watched more than forty episodes of this show, Sean? No, I've actually only watched the first thirteen, but oh, okay. I want to. I'm going gotcha. to get to it. But I'm excited it- to see who Cesar Romero plays. I want to find out. Maybe he's another <laughs> Commandante. Didn't you earlier? Okay, you said Cesar Chavez earlier, and now you said Cesar Romero. Yeah. 
fucking hell. Did I say Caesar? I'm going to have to go back and edit it. And oh, now, God. I meant Caesar Romero. And, and now this is the whole Simpsons thing where the ghost of Caesar sat. <laughs> shows up to Homer you and he says, know. why do you look like Caesar Romero? He says, because you don't know what Caesar Chavez looks like. <laughs> and apparently neither do you. Well, Caesar Chavez is a labor leader. Of course he's not going to be in this fucking show. Why didn't you correct me when I said <laughs> Because I just took it at face value until you said Cesar Romero this time. Oh my god. You were just like, oh, I guess Cesar Chavez cameo. Yeah. It's like, that's pretty fucking ballin. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck. I don't know how I'm going to edit this in without making myself look like an ass. Oh, that's the opening. <laughs> oh. Cesar Romero. Good save, Sean. Good save. Fucking hell. Just say his name in like. Cesar Romero. Cesar Romero. Clean one. Cesar Romero. <laughs> And you can just ADR it like they do. One of those like, will work. Get to the monastery. Governor, Caesar Romero. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I meant Caesar Romero appears in this show. Yeah, so that's that's the end of it. That's the end of the movie. Bobby, what did you think? Sounded like you had a pretty good time. It was pretty enjoyable. Like I say, I did hit a point similar to Rob where it's, and again, it's just because as I like said earlier in the show, there is no like overall arc. There's just a bunch of little mini arcs and- you still get the payoff of a movie, but it is a very quick, like, oh, hey, like, I guess he could be Zoro. Like, next day, is like, I'm going to prove to everybody he's Zoro. I'm like, I felt I slept on it, and I'm quite sure it's Zoro. It is kind of a satisfying ending, but honestly, knowing knowing what I knew, they're like, oh, this is just a mishmash of the show. It's like, you know, I bet you I would enjoy watching the show more, and it made me want to watch the show. Yeah. That's what I, I said. I tried watching the first episode immediately afterwards, and I was like, I just I just watched this, but it is now actually on my list uh, right after I finish watching what other shows I'm watching. And I do want to dive into this and like give this a shot, because I think I'll have a lot of fun with it. I kind of wish Sean hadn't told us that it was a bunch of episodes thrown together, because I was watching it through that lens, and I could, you know, I could, it was kind of taking me out of it, because I was like, okay, I mean, obviously... We notice when there's stuff missing, but I was like, there's a lot of stuff that was, seems to have like jumped around a lot of different episodes. But I mean, you can't, you can't deny the charm and the charisma of Guy Williams and how much fun he's having. Um, a lot of the secondary characters, uh, you know, Sergeant Garcia is a buffoon, you know, he plays it well. And, uh, the Commandante is like, you know, the handsome rogue or whatever it is, the bad guy. He, he does a really good job at that too. But yeah, all in all, I think the structure of it did kind of hurt it in the long run as, as like a overarching hour and a half movie wasn't fully successful. Uh, but like if you, <laughs> if you cut it up into 20 minute episodes, probably is really good. <laughs> the 1990s Antonio Banderas Zorro movie, The Mask of Zorro, is one of my favorite films. Really? I think it's amazing. It's such a fun blockbuster. It's kind of just, I think, one of the best examples, along with like the 1990s Mummy movie, of just like, oh, God, I love that. It's like a great 90s blockbuster. Yeah, I, I, having rewatched it last night, Sean, I agree with you, man. Like, I I, uh, I hadn't seen it in a long time, and I remembered liking it as a kid. And then I was like, oh, no, this is sweet. This is so much it's fun. It's really good. This it's is really so much good. fun. But I feel like a lot of the tone and the fun and even, like, the jokey references of him leaping off of the top of a hacienda onto his horse, like, the model for that is this yes, show. Yes, it is. It's the 1957 it's a good Disney Zorro. Yeah. That is what they were trying to recreate. And I feel like they were very successful. But going back to watch this show, I was like, oh, this is where that comes from. This is the model that that was building on. 
and I love it. Nice. If we were reviewing the show, which we're not, because <laughs> we're not reviewing shows. You, you seem to have uh, figured out a way to to play around with that formula I a have, little bit. I Sean. have tweaked it. But if we were reviewing the show, I honestly, I think I would put the show as my number one. Wow. Of all the stuff that we've talked about so far, I feel like that show is number one. Even higher than Million Dollar Duck. Okay. All right. <laughs> Saying a lot about you. The movie as a vastly inferior version of that show with a muddy, ugly print and a narrative that is borderline incoherent at time is much lower. Uh, if I was going to rank it, I would put it, you know what? I'm going to put it right below Reign of Fire. It's not great, but mm-hmm. I hope that people check out the TV show because I think the TV show is great. I stand with that. Um, I put it, uh, I, I rearranged a few things, actually. Um, I put it at number 13, so that's actually under Don't Look Under the Bed, <laughs> but above <laughs> Babes in Toyland. Yeah, okay. I remember the last recording, I was getting some shit with you guys because Blank Check was still pretty high up on my list. So I re-listened to our episode of the podcast, Blank Check, and realized my rose-colored glasses was for our episode that we recorded about all of the stuff that we added to the film, Blank Check, and not actually Blank Check. <laughs> oh, the narrative where, like, his father yes. was being yeah. cuckolded by the, like... Yes, that is the film that was so high up on my list. None of it actually existed. Um, okay. And so I was like, oh, no, this really is just me remembering this podcast fondly and not the film. So I've put it down. Um, it's it's not quite at the bottom. It's the fourth from the bottom or fifth, uh, just above Million Dollar Duck. Oh, it's still above Million Dollar Duck. Oh, dude, I, I still have it listed in my list as Million Dollar Fuck This Movie. Bobby, did you put it in your list? I didn't like like I said, the, I lost interest in the movie, but I still had fun with it and it was enjoyable. Um, I maybe put it a bit higher than you guys. I think I'd actually put it under. Don't look under the bed, but above Freaky Friday '76. Just because this, it, it, it for what it is, it's fun and it made me interested. Oh, like well, watching it, knowing I was like, oh, the show is probably infinitely better than this. So it, it guarded interest in me wanting to do that. Which, as you said, I hope everyone does for this movie review podcast. Don't watch the movie. Go watch the TV show. It's based on. That's the review. You need Guy Williams in your life. That like million dollar smile. All right, so this movie either came out in 1958 or 1960, depending what country you're in. I'm just going to talk about both years because 1958, did Disney have a pandemic year? Like, what happened in 1958? They released, to my knowledge, three movies. A movie called The Light in the Forest, which I suspect is going to be a very problematic film because it involves a narrative about indigenous characters. Mm. It's not available, so I can't really comment on it. Uh, a documentary called White Wilderness, which is also problematic. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it is quite problematic because it's it's actually a lot of um, academics uh, blame the film for popularizing the apparently false common perception that lemmings will all charge off a cliff. To oh, their death. the one where they where they put all the lemmings on a rotating disc and flung them off a cliff so they don't die, so they could prove it was true. That was from the documentary White Wilderness, which was a Walt Disney production, and apparently that is all false information. Documentary where they literally just throw lemmings off a cliff. And it's like kind of whimsical and fun, if I remember. Look at them fall to their doom. (laughs) Is that Mickey? Is Mickey narrating this? (laughs) Where'd they go? (laughs) Anyway, yeah, so then the third movie they released that year was Tonka, another... 
narrative about indigenous characters that is not wow. available on Disney Plus, which might be a good thing. I don't know. Maybe maybe it was ahead of its time. I don't know. Uh, at any rate, that's it. That's what they released in 1958. 1960, uh, they released Toby Tyler, which is the aforementioned story about a kid running away and joining the circus, but it has Henry Calvin and Gene Sheldon <laughs> in it. Kidnapped, yeah. which is the Robert Stevenson movie that is an adaptation of the Robert Louis Stevenson book. Pollyanna, which is on Disney Plus. What's that one again? It's a story about a little girl. Okay. I don't know. It's based on a book. Maybe I, it just sounds familiar. Maybe I, uh, I think I might have come across it on Disney Plus. Uh, people refer to little girls sometimes as Pollyannas, and I don't really know what it means. Okay. So we'll have to watch the movie so I can understand what I mean, it means. we'll have to, but. <laughs> Not anytime soon, please. Uh, another true life adventure documentary movie called Jungle Cat, which is about jungle cats. Flinging them off cliffs, too. Ten- <laughs> <laughs> Flinging them off. <laughs> oh, look at the jungle cats fall! <laughs> Every documentary is just them throwing <laughs> animals off a cliff. Animals on cliffs. <laughs> Bobby's not laughing. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, the thing is, I don't think you're wrong. Um, a movie called Ten Who Dared, which was uh, about a rafting expedition through Colorado rivers. I don't know anything more about it, and I don't know if it's available anywhere to watch. Then in December, Swiss Family Robinson. Massive fucking success. Yeah. Huge movie. Everybody loved it. One of the biggest Walt Disney live action successes. How are we ending this episode? I don't know. I don't want to do any impersonations from anybody from this film. No, we're not going to do no. a guy and Williams like everyone's kind of putting on these no. like kind of swarthy Spanish accents. And I'm like, I don't really, I, I don't really want to do that. Yeah, that's, let's not do not, that. It's not a good way. All right. Well, just like the ending of Sign of Zorro, we're going to end this episode on an anticlimax random moment. Now. That's the show. If you have a suggestion for a movie we should cover next time, send us an email at thepodcastwartennisshoes at gmail.com. We can also be reached on Facebook and Twitter at podwar. That's at P-O-D-W-O-R-E. And if you like the show, give us a good review on your podcast platform. It really helps us out. We hope you tune in next time. Thanks. Thanks.